If I ever met rapidly changing road conditions, I had to slam it down into a new gear. It only had four gears, which meant that when uh, there was a hill or when you wanted acceleration of a very big engine, when you wanted to accelerate past something to overtake something on the road, you had to slam it down a gear to get the revs up to give you any kind of forward momentum to get beyond what was in front of you or to get up the hill. When you were in the highest gear and you hit 70, 75 miles an hour, the engine screamed because it was so high revving and there was no gear to go into to bring the revs down to make the fuel economy better. So when I met changing road conditions in that car, it required a gear shift. And that's what we're talking about in this series. We're talking about the changing road conditions in our world. And you don't really have to be very observant to notice that in the last 20 years or so, the world, particularly in the Western world, has changed extraordinarily. We see those changing road conditions. Even if we don't have language to put around it, we feel it. You know, think about how we used to go to the doctors, if you're as old as I am, we used to go to the doctors by just turning up at the doctors and sitting in the waiting room until the doctor was ready to see us and got through everybody else. Now we phone up the doctor and we don't actually even usually get an appointment. The doctor phones us back and we do all that we can over the phone before we actually have to go in. Think about the ways we connect with one another. We used to have each other over for meals and that kind of stuff. Now we connect on social media. Think about the way we watch TV. You know, we used to watch TV at a particular time on one of the three or four channels that were available to us. I don't think anybody really watches TV at a particular time anymore. They just watch it where they want, when they want, how they want, on what kind of device they want. The world has changed beyond all recognition, really. And actually, one of the other shifts that happens in our world is we have moved away from the centrality of the group to the centrality of the individual. From what it means to play my part in a wider community and to play my part, bring my contribution to that, to what's best for me and how I live my best life. And the huge overarching story or worldview that used to determine and for years actually determined so much of what we thought and who we were and the culture that we lived in is being deconstructed all around us. Gil Rendell, in his book, Leading Courageously, or sorry, Quietly Courageous, Leading in a Divergent World, he puts languages, he talks about uh, convergent and divergent culture. And he talks about those things to, to describe this, this shift. In convergent times, which is what we were living under up until maybe 10, 20 years ago, in convergent times, people unite around a common story, an overarching narrative in divergent times, that's been gone, that's gone, and there are a whole load of competing ideologies fighting for control of the common story, that overarching narrative. And that's why we feel such cultural angst at the moment. That's why we feel such division. That's why we're becoming increasingly polarized, because this fight is going on for the overall worldview and ideology by which we're going to live. And COVID simply accelerated that change. And when you're living in divergent times, the whole culture feels anxious and worried. And then we individually start to feel anxious and worried. And many of us are feeling that way. What we need in divergent times is hope. 
What we need in the midst of cultural anxiety and division is a story that we can live by that brings meaning and purpose beyond ourselves. What helps us is faith in something beyond us. What we need is a change in the conversation. What we need is a gear shift to meet the changing road conditions of our world. And that is true for us, whether we would say we, we, would say we were Jesus followers, Christians, or whether we would say we're exploring faith. So I want to explore in these next few minutes a gear shift we can make both personally and corporately a gear shift we can make to meet the challenges of these changing road conditions. And my intention is that it's inspiring, I hope, but my intention also is that it's deeply challenging. And it's challenging for all of us, wherever we are on our faith journey, whether we're a regular part of Andover Community Church or not. I hope it's challenging and inspiring for all of us. I hope it gives you a picture of the sorts of things we're thinking about and wondering about as a church and the sorts of ways we can help people grow on their journey of faith. Now, 2,000 years ago, there was a similar kind of crossroads moment in the culture. The, the road conditions had shifted. 2,000 years ago, people were living in divergent times. Cultural anxiety was rife because there were these competing worldviews that were fighting for control, and those different worldviews were clashing in different locations and places all around the world. And in a tiny, faraway place in the Middle East, a clash of worldviews was taking place, and that was introducing huge cultural angst. Roman, Jewish, and tribal worldviews were competing in a sometimes violent and always anxiety-inducing fight. And right into the middle of that fight stepped a man called Jesus. And Jesus would demonstrate and announce and model a gear shift that anyone from whatever worldview they were coming from could follow. And that gear shift, that changing worldview, would shake that little kingdom in the Middle East and would ultimately shake the world. It was a gear shift that was going to offer hope and meaning and purpose and a new story that was available to anyone. To anyone. It would offer anyone a way to live beyond themselves. It would offer to anyone a peace in the midst of cultural anxiety. People who believed, uh, believed in the Jewish god Yahweh, or the Roman gods of Jupiter and Juno and the like, or the pagan gods of tribal culture, were so attracted to Jesus that they came to listen to him and many of them came to follow him. People who believed in no gods at all found something in Jesus that was deeply attractive to them in the midst of this cultural shift, in the midst of these changing road conditions. So I want to go back and look at what was going on and look at what Jesus did. But before I get there, I need to give you a little bit of background about how people found their bigger story, how people were finding their bigger story back then. And they were all very similar. It didn't matter whether you were a Jewish, a follower of the Jewish religious faith, whether you were a follower of the Roman system of multiple gods, or whether you were following the pagan system of gods. Actually, those three clashing and competing faith systems and worldviews all revolved around common things. So they all revolved around specific locations often where people would go to do their faith stuff and they all had them 
They also all had specific people, often called priests, who would do faith to you. And they often, and in fact all, revolved around sacrifice and ritual to make you right, to make an individual right with the God or gods. They used a sacrificial and ritualistic system. For the Jewish people, people of a Jewish faith, that had come to them in the form of something called a covenant. And the covenant was really kind of a a promise or a deal between two parties. And it wasn't just used in faith systems, it was used in government and in uh, legal systems of the day. A covenant was a promise from one party to another and back again. In the Jewish faith system, God had promised to love his people and to bless them. And in, the ter- in return, the people promised to love God and to seek his forgiveness for their sins through a system of sacrifices. That was the covenant that they'd lived with for hundreds of years and that God had established with them. And the center of that covenant, the place where so much of it was played out, was a tabernacle or temple that was a physical location. And into that and out of that Jewish faith system comes Jesus 2,000 years ago. And Jesus came to model and announce a gear shift. And that shift revolved around it not being about a temple at all. He talked and modeled this in so many different ways in his life. But perhaps one of the the clearest indications he gave of this gear shift was at a meal he shared with his followers the night before he was arrested and betrayed and killed. And he was sharing a meal with his closest friends. We sometimes call it the Last Supper. And in the midst of that, Jesus took elements that were just on the table as part of the meal, bread and wine. And he said to them, look, I'm going to show you and talk to you about something very different, the thing I have come to do. And I just want to read a couple of verses from an account of that Last Supper in Matthew's account of the life of Jesus in the New Testament part of the Bible. And in Matthew chapter 26, it says this, as they were eating... Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat it for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Up until this point in the Jewish faith, access to God was gained through a system of bloody sacrifices performed by priests. And that was how the covenant worked and how people gained access to forgiveness for their sins and access to the presence of God in their lives. It's how people gained reconciliation with God so that they could move on in their relationship with God. And at this last supper meal, Jesus shifts gears in the most extraordinary way. He's saying the blood that will be shed from now on will be his blood, and that will establish a new covenant between people and God that delivers that reconciliation and restoration with God, but is now about what Jesus has done and not about the sacrifice of any animal. Jesus would be the center of a new movement that would offer hope and meaning and purpose through faith in God, guaranteed and sealed by what he was about to do when he went to the cross and gave his body and his blood as a sacrifice for human beings. 
And then a few years later, when this movement of Jesus was spreading, when Jesus had died on the cross and rose again from the dead and gone back to be with his Father in heaven, this movement of Jesus was spreading around the world. A bunch of people living in and around Rome and who had originally been basing their lives on the Jewish faith but were now following Jesus, they received a letter. There are a bunch of people called the Hebrews, and this letter is in the New Testament part of the Bible. We're not entirely sure who wrote it. But the writer of this letter to the Hebrews talks a huge amount in that letter about this old way and new way, about this gear shift that Jesus came to bring. And we're going to pick up a little bit of uh, that letter, but I just need to give you a little bit of background. The bit before we get to the bit we're going to look at, if that makes sense, uh, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews has been talking all about the old system, the old covenant, the old way of being before Jesus. And uh, the writer of the letter has been talking about priests and the role of priests in that system. And then, so we get like loads about the old system, and then we get this gear shift, like slamming it down into third to get the acceleration we need to propel the movement of Jesus forward as the road conditions of the world have been changing. The the writer slams it down a gear and tells us what the new system is all about, the new way in Jesus. And this is in Hebrews chapter 8. And the writer says this, here is the main point. So here's been all the background up to now. Here's the stuff I really want you to know. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There is a new priest in town. So we've been talking about all those old priests under the old system. There is a new priest in town. His name is Jesus, and he died and he rose again, and he is now seated with God. There is a new priest in town. Then the writer goes on in verse 2. There he, this new priest, ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. This new priest is serving in a new place, not a physical location on earth, not a tabernacle or a temple on earth, but a temple, a tabernacle in heaven that is over all and available to all. So no physical location on earth anymore is required. There is a new tabernacle, a new way of connecting with God. And then goes on, verse 3, and since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. So here we have a tie back to the old system. Just as under the old system, every high priest was required to make sacrifices on behalf of the people, this new high priest in town, Jesus, has made an offering and a sacrifice to restore people and reconcile people in their relationship with God. So you get the old system Priests, locations, sacrifices, new way of being, one high priest only who is Jesus. No longer a physical location on earth, but a promise in heaven, and no longer a whole system of sacrifices, one sacrifice made once for all people, and that is Jesus when he went to the cross. Just as a high priest was required under the old covenant to make sacrifices, so under the new way of being, Jesus has made a sacrifice once and for all. This is a huge gear shift, a monumental change. And then I'm just going to fast forward a few verses into chapter 8 to verse 6. 
The writer says this, but now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. So this new way, this new covenant, this new system, this gear shift is way better than the old one. And he goes on, if the first covenant had been faultless, there'd have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. There was a problem with the old system, so we need a new one. So God made that possible. And then finally, if we fast forward a few more verses to verse 13, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. Wow. It's obsolete and a new system will appear, a new way of relating to God. The old is gone, the new has come. One of the things I love around here when we do baptisms is we love to give people who are being baptized a towel. And we give them a towel and it's got our church name on it. And uh, this is the, I was saying to Steve this morning, Steve is the first person to be baptized at Andover Community Church. And that's, uh, they've got that sorted on the towel. Somebody did that brilliantly somewhere. Kirsty, I know it was you. Uh, Kirsty works in her office. We've got a new, new logo on the towels, but it also has a Bible verse. And it's a verse from another letter, 2 Corinthians. And it says, the old has gone, the new has come. That's what Jesus did when he came to bring in this new plan, this new covenant, this new way of relating to God. The old has gone. The old was brilliant and it was great. And it provided a way. It was part of God's story for people to relate to God. But it, it had some problems, mainly because, well, almost exclusively because people kept messing it up. So God needed a new way, a new plan for people to enter into a relationship with him. And once Jesus had come, it superseded what had gone before. It's great for us to understand the Old Covenant. It's great for us to read about it in the Old Testament part of the Bible. It's great for us to know that's part of the story of the Christian faith. But that way of being is obsolete because a new way has come in Jesus. There is a gear shift. And the problem is, for God, the old ways disappeared. We're told that. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. The old ways disappeared but for many of us who do church and follow Jesus, we're still living like the old covenant is in place. We're still living under the Old Testament system. Sorry, not the Old Testament system. I didn't mean that. The Old Temple system. It's like faux pas. We're still living under the Old Temple system. And we are missing the gear shift that Jesus came to do. And in divergent times, this shift of mindset from an, a, a temple system to a new way that Jesus came to bring is so important because in divergent times, we need a different set of cues for how we connect with God, how we find hope, how we find faith, how we find peace, and how we find a story that gives us meaning and purpose. We need a new set of cues, and that's true whether we've been a Christian for ages or whether we're exploring faith. The problem is the church generally, not talking necessarily about our church, although we're a part of this, the church generally in the Western world and in the UK has often settled back into the old temple model. Jesus followers has often settled back into the old temple model because we have taken our cues for finding Jesus and growing faith from a temple model. We've been happy thinking only about faith on certain days of the week, usually a Sunday. 
We've been happy to take our cues for growing our faith from certain physical locations, usually a church building. And we've been happy to ask certain people, usually professional ministers, to do faith to us. But the problem with that is, it's too easy. And the reason why we settle back into it is because it's easy. The temple model is easy because we don't have to think for ourselves, own it for ourselves, or take responsibility for our growth and for the growth in the, in the faith of our families. Because we can pass that all on to somebody else. But this temple model is flawed. As the writer to, of the letter to the Hebrews said, if it had worked, we wouldn't have needed something new. And to be honest, that system, that kind of temple system, works-ish in convergent times. It's worked for many years in this country as we've lived in a convergent culture. But to be honest, it's only worked partially, and it's not really worked for the last 50 years because we've seen a steady decline in the impact of church and the number of people connecting with church. So it, it's kind of worked, but it was never God's plan. It's by God's grace that it's kind of worked. But it really, really doesn't work in divergent times. It really doesn't. And actually, COVID showed to us so many of the problems that we've been experiencing with the temple system that we maybe just didn't know. When we couldn't come to a physical location on a particular day of the week and be done to by particular people... For many of us, our faith, our faith struggled. We struggled with our faith and we struggled to grow in our faith and to hold on to our faith. But Jesus came to, be, to, to do something new. Because that temple system was obsolete then and it's obsolete now. And now more than ever, we need a gear shift. We need to shift gear from a temple mindset to a movement mindset. You see, in a temple mindset, it's static. It's about one time, one place. It's about going somewhere. It's about relying on just a few people to do faith to the rest of us. A temple mindset says, will somebody feed me? A temple mindset says, I'm going to consume the product that somebody trying to help me grow in my faith is giving to me. And we are united with a temple mindset by duty. Oh, I must go to this place today. I need to go. We're motivated and united by duty in a movement mindset. And Jesus came to shift gear from a temple to a movement model. In a movement mindset, we are moving, number one. We are going somewhere. We are on a journey. We're taking ground, number one. We're supposed to be following Jesus, not going somewhere. We're supposed to be relying on each other, not on a few. We're supposed to, instead of saying, will somebody feed me, say, will somebody inspire me to grow my faith myself? Will somebody inspire and help me in a, in a movement mindset? We own responsibility for our faith journey. And we're united by passion for a movement and for a journey and for a place we're going. Now, he hear me right. Church and a faith community like this, it's really important. But it should be important for inspiring, helping, and equipping us all to move, not to do it all for us or to us. 
One of the things that this church here does, which uh, blesses me hugely, is it gives me the opportunity every few years to have four weeks of study leave. So I get four weeks break from regular duties and I get to go away and, and think and pray and reflect and read and all that kind of stuff. Last autumn, I had some study leave. And during that study leave, I wrote uh, something that had been kind of really burdening me and kind of deep down in here that I've been feeling since the whole COVID thing. Uh, and I wrote a document called Changing the Conversation. It was just my, my thoughts and this sort of like, gut thing that I had going on in me but I was like during COVID we found all the weaknesses in our way of doing church we found all the weaknesses in a temple model and many of us church leaders we, we got together as COVID hit on on Zoom and we were talking about how things needed to change going forward because of all these things on all these issues and challenges we were recognizing we'd had for years and COVID kind of pointed out to us and then by the time COVID finished, we were all so tired and so exhausted that when the opportunity to just go back to doing church like we'd always done it presented itself, we couldn't wait to go back and grab it. And all those exciting conversations we had at the beginning of COVID just all went out the window. And I was just reflecting on this and, and just going, that, that can't be okay. So I just wrote these thoughts in this document called Changing the Conversation, and I shared it with leaders and others around here. And we had a sense that God is stirring something in our church family, that, that we're going to take our cues from something different. And as a church community, we're going to do this gear shift. And we want to be at the forefront of doing that, because the honest truth is we don't know many other people who are doing it, which either means we're onto something or we're really wrong. But I kind of think, and, and I think most of us think around here, actually, we'd rather be trying something than just dying slowly. We'd rather be taking a step of faith in boldness than just sitting around waiting for the church to decline, which is what's happening across our country. We want to be at the forefront, which we think is exciting and scary in equal measure. So if you're new to our church, by the way, or this is your first time here, wow, you've picked a Sunday to come. It's not always quite like this. But if you're ready to be excited and scared in equal measure, we are the perfect church for you. And if you're part of our church family, well, you're in it now, aren't you? So I hope you're ready to be excited and scared in equal measure. Here are some things this means. It means we're going to start measuring success or whether we're actually doing the things that God would have us do, not by how many people show up on a Sunday, but by how many people we are equipping to regularly take next steps in their journey of faith. No matter where they start, whether they're just exploring faith or whether they've been Christians for years. And we have a vision and a dream for 1,000 people connected to us regularly taking next steps in their journey of faith. And we think that would be community transforming. We're going to prioritize equipping people with resources and signposts so that they can access stuff to help them grow in their faith anytime, any place, anywhere where they have a prompting and take a cue to take a next step. We're going to measure how we're doing at helping people build real relationships, develop new mindsets, build better habits and make brave moves because we think those four things are the mark of a growing and maturing Jesus follower. And of course, we'll continue to do things together. This is not a grand announcement that we're not doing Sundays anymore. Of course, we'll continue to do those things together. But our goal will be not to get bums on seats, but to have an experience and encounter with God that inspires and challenges us to go out from this place and take next steps 
in our journey of faith. And it's great news if you're exploring faith. We want you to invite you into a bigger story, a movement that's about changing you and changing the world. And it's exciting news, I hope and pray, if you've been a Jesus follower and maybe part of this church community for years, because we get to be at the forefront of what gear shift needs to take place to meet the needs of a divergent culture and a divergent world. Jesus came to bring a gear shift. The old has gone, the new has come. Let's not settle as a church into the easy way of doing it, into the old temple model. Let's not settle. Because God said that, that didn't really work. We need something new. That's obsolete. Let's instead do what Jesus' followers have done and pursue that gear shift. Let's take our cues from something different and let's shift gear because it's what we need in divergent times to bring unity, hope, faith, and a bigger story that people can live by. And it's what our world needs now, perhaps more than it ever has done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you, you call us into your bigger story. We recognize that in our world, the bigger stories that people have often lived by, and actually many people have lived by for years and years, have been deconstructed. And there is a fight going on. And it often feels violent and aggressive. A fight for the overarching ideology or worldview or story by which people are going to live. Thank you that in you we have a bigger story that is better than anything else. Thank you that you invite us into that. And thank you that as a church you invite us in to being part of a gear shift that our world desperately needs. Amen.